Two balls, two strikes. Turner leading off third. Muncie off second and Smith off first. Hudson sets the kick, the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a slider. And a curly W's in the books. The Nationals have tied this National League Division Series at a game apiece as Daniel Hudson walks a tightrope in the bottom of the ninth inning. And the game is over. The Nationals on the field to celebrate a victory as they even the series here in Los Angeles. Hi there, and welcome to a special post-Game 2 edition of the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. So, the we are recording this at 1.24 a.m., maybe 10 minutes after Game 2 of the National League Division Series ended. The mm. Nationals lost Game 1 in a snooze fest, 6 to nothing. Came back today, uh, and I think the, the first thing you got to talk about is Steven Strasburg. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was going to pitch a no-hitter. Um, he just, his stuff, he had command of all of his pitches. And, I mean, his fastball with the movement in, he didn't even rely on that. He mostly went curveball changeup. He threw his curveball more than he threw his fastball, either of his fastballs today. Yeah, that's crazy. He was He just had such good command. And, unfortunately, he kind of lost it a little bit in the fifth or sixth. Probably due to the fact that he pitched out of the bullpen just on Tuesday. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't really know how to recover from that. So, you know, fantastic four and two-thirds, uh, five innings from him. Faltered a little bit in the sixth, but was still a phenomenal performance. I don't think for those first five innings that he missed location on more than two or three pitches. It, yeah. was, it was the most artful display. I mean, that's, that is the thing about Steven Strasburg, the pitcher now. I mean, he he hits his spots. He mixes his pitches phenomenally well. There was I can't remember. I know it was to I think it was to Muncie uh, when he was locked in a little bit of a battle with Muncie, and then he threw him a 95 mile an hour run back two seam fastball, like like a Levon Hernandez fastball, but 95 miles an hour, uh, and that was like his fourth best pitch. I mean, not the fastball or not the that specific fastball. But the fastball was like his fourth, his his two-seamer was like his fourth best pitch. I mean, there were times when he was just flipping the curveball in to get ahead. This really reminded me of the other start against the Dodgers at home this year, um, where he just completely made this fantastic lineup look terrible. I mean, his line from July was seven innings, two hits, one run, nine strikeouts. Very similar to his line tonight. He made Cody Bellinger on that 10th strikeout in the sixth. He made him look ridiculous, and that is the MVP of the league. I mean, it's... Not my MVP. My MVP made a diving play to rob their MVP. That is true. It was very, very reminiscent to the play that Ian Desmond made in, in Game 4 in 2012, where you sort of overrun a pop-up. I don't think you overran it. It's just a lot, a lot of tail on that one. Just really hard to read that one. I mean, it's, it's lucky for the Nats that they didn't have any ridiculous... I mean, they couldn't, because... Uh, because there was a runner on second, and they didn't want him to steal third. Mm-hmm. But it was very lucky for the Nats that Rendon wasn't playing out of position. Although, yeah. but he may have had the better angle if he had been coming from the shortstop position. But he would have had farther to run. I don't know if he gets there. Well, he made a great job adjusting to it. And, yeah, he made a couple of really good plays. I mean, he was two for four. Um, 
with a big double. Uh, but, I mean, there are a couple good big spots where he didn't come up. And that's kind of been, I don't know, I've been kind of frustrated with him, even though he had a good game tonight. Um, he had a, a double, a bloop single, and he had a ball that he hit up the middle that should have gotten through, but for the Dodgers are a very aggressive shifting team. And I don't know if it works or not, but... I think tonight, so tonight it was interesting because they shift heavier on two strikes because of Kershaw and how he's trying to pound sliders into righties. Jeff Francoeur mentioned this on the broadcast, and I really like our broadcast here for the series, Johnson and Francoeur. Francoeur is really good, I think. Yeah, I, I think he's a little raw, but he's got insights. And most importantly, he doesn't seem to hate the game of baseball, which is very nice. Exactly. Like John Smoltz. Ugh. Anyway, but Francoeur was mentioning how Kershaw was trying to jam righties in with the slider. And there was numerous times against Kurt Suzuki especially where that is exactly what happened and they shifted perfectly for it. Yeah. They shift more aggressively on right-handed hitters than any team that I can remember watching. They were on basically every right-handed hitter the Nats had. They generally had their second baseman, Gavin Lutz, playing on the left side of second base, which you just... You don't see teams being that aggressive in general with right-handed hitters. And you know, the interesting thing is, I think they, I think you're absolutely right that it was it was sort of tailored to, to the game plan of Clayton Kershaw because I don't think I saw it very much after he left the game. I mean, it, it was it was very interesting. Yeah, I, I think it worked well. It it seemed so. The Nats the Nats hit a ton of balls hard in this game. I mean, it's easy to get mad at them for missing opportunities. Uh, and they did. They missed several opportunities. There was a bases loaded, one out, run already in in the first when they had a a pop-up from Zimmerman on the first pitch. Just a very poor... I mean, it was a fastball that he got on the first pitch. He wanted to avoid getting that slider. Uh, but if you're going to swing at the first pitch and you're going to get a fastball, it was a very hittable pitch. He had to drive it, at least get a run home. But beyond that, the Nets had several occasions, there were several balls the Nets hit that I thought with the juice ball were at least in the second or third row, and they were caught almost before the track. And it was, I mean, they didn't look like home runs off the bat, but they looked like home runs off the bat factoring in 2019. Yeah, that Robles double, that couple Eaton fly balls, um, I thought at least one of those would have gone out. But I guess that's not the way that Nats win this playoffs, is not with the long ball. No? The Nats are zigging when everyone else is zagging. They're going with starting pitching and timely hitting. Starting pitching and starting pitching in relief, which is the next thing we have to talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about that Max Scherzer eighth inning. That was the most dominant inning I have ever seen from Max Scherzer. Under, I mean, he's thrown... Two immaculate innings. The immaculate inning after he got hit with a line uh, comebacker, you were at that game. That was pretty dang impressive. But he's never had that good stuff in an yeah. inning before. He was no, throwing 98-99 with a fastball. Yeah. Uh, and unlike Wednesday or Tuesday when he was doing that, he actually commanded the thing. He mm-hmm. And even more impressive than the fastball command to me, was the fact that every slider he threw, they were not, none of them were under or overthrown. 
He didn't spike any of them. None of them backed up. He got on top of every single slider, and he threw the slider, the cutter that he threw to Lux to strike him out was in the zone when it left his hand and ended up behind his back leg. And then the slider he threw to Jock Peterson to strike him out was, it was straight down, 87 miles an hour. It's a disappearo ball. It was nothing that Peterson could do. There was nothing anyone could do against Scherzer. No, no. And then there comes a question that this segues into. The next really interesting thing that happened tonight is should the Nats have used him in the ninth? Uh, you know, the Nats had a very interesting ninth inning. Uh, you know, I, but I, I, yeah, very, I don't disagree with the decision to take him out. I think it sets you up nicely for game three. I mean, this is, he only threw 14 pitches max. And I think I like, I don't know, I like the fact that we can, it's very, we have a clear path to clinch at home. You know, with Max going game three. I know Ryu is a difficult matchup for the Nats. We'll talk about that later. But I think, I, I don't know, I like just going all in at first. I mean, we were, you, you had an idea about, you know, playing the matchups, and you want to mention that with uh, flipping Max and, and Annabelle. Um, well, so, yeah, my idea here was you have a built-in way, first of all, to get Max an extra day of rest if that's what it takes to have him throw a second inning. You could just flip the, you know, ever-rested, ever-ready Anibal Sanchez, who I don't think has pitched. What was the last time he pitched? Uh, oh, God. Wednesday um, of last week? Jeez, it's going to be almost two weeks. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. He's a f- soft toss, and he's not the type of guy who's going to be over-amped and just yanking the ball because he's too rested. Well, so... He'll be going. Uh, I mean, my idea was for if they needed to, you know, extend Scherzer to that second inning, that they could have brought Sanchez up and had him go game three and then Scherzer game four. Uh, but they chose not to do that. They went with Daniel Hudson. And the other thing that I like to go back to that point is if you have Scherzer going against the guy like Rich Hill instead of a guy like Ryu, who is still very much in the Cy Young race this year. I think it's going to go to DeGrom, but Ryu will be somewhere in that top three. If you can maximize your win expectancy in one of the two games at home, then you come to game five, shorts on the road, but you've got Steven Strasburg, and Steven Strasburg has struck out 10 in three of his four playoff starts at least 10. He struck out 12 in Chicago. He's got a in, .64 playoff ERA. He's got a .64 playoff ERA. He is minimum four starts. In the first four starts of a playoff career, he is second in strikeouts to only Bob Gibson, who holds the World Series record for strikeouts in a game. Yeah, you got to feel... I mean, if you can get this game to game five with Strasburg on the mound, you, you have to feel kind of good. And so that's another thing, though, about pitching Scherzer on game three is that he's more likely to be able to go more innings in the game five. And another positive thing about it is that if 
you pitch Scherzer in Game 3, you're less likely to need Corbin. And Patrick Corbin, at this point, should and likely will become sort of a, a roving left-handed reliever. You can use him to some one-inning spots. I mean, if you can just get six from Max, then go Corbin, you know, do little uh, Hudson. Uh, or you can use it like where if Max gets in trouble in the middle of an inning and Bellinger's coming up, you make kind of do little loogie, and then you use Corbin for the full inning or two innings. You could probably do that. I, I would feel much more comfortable using Doolittle as the roving reliever, as the, yeah. the loogie type. Exactly, that's what I was saying. And having Corbin start innings. Yeah, uh, that's what I, was, I, think that's right what I just that. said. No, I know. I think you're right. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't you. restating your point. I was agreeing with you. Okay. I was anyway. saying that I thought that that analysis was good. Thank you. Uh Anyway, so sensitive um, sometimes. But I'm tired. I'm cranky. I, I know. And my that, that game, even though the Nats long. won, isn't the kind of game, even though they won and won in ways that are mostly sustainable, it's not. And they, they played the better game of the two teams. Yeah. It's not a game that exactly makes you feel comfortable at the end of it. I, I don't think that no. any playoff baseball is designed to make you feel comfortable at the end of it, but. Listen, I will, say, I will say this. Davey managed an almost perfect game yes. until, <laughs> until he got the two outs in the ninth. Until he tried to play 40 chess. And he was like, you know what? Max Muncy homered against us last time. He'll probably he'll, can beat Hudson. Instead of me even attempting to pitch to him, let's just put on the, the, tie, the tying run and bring up the going head run. And then, and then Hudson walked. Uh, he, he wanted the left. He wanted the righty righty matchup with Smith, who's a rookie. I sort of, sort of get it. I I can see the logic. This isn't. Davey has made moves before, where I have been completely unable to see the logic of them. I think I talked about this on a podcast a while ago, but most moves that managers make, I disagree with them, but I see what they were going for. This falls into that category, but that doesn't make it any more defensible. I mean, no. it, it was a galaxy brain 4D chess type of move where he thought that putting the tying run on was, was a good idea. He saw Muncie hit the home run against Doolittle, who, by the way, Doolittle looked very good apart from the home run. He, he mislocated one pitch. Yeah, but every other pitch looked so good. That at bat to Bellinger was so nice. Yes, he got swings and misses. The fastball's up to 96, where it hasn't been this entire year. In terms of using him as a loogie, I still have confidence in him. I have confidence yeah. again against lefties or righties. But obviously, I'd rather have him pitch to lefties. And by the way, that home run to Muncy was only the ninth home run that Sean Doolittle's ever given up to a left-handed hitter. Uh, and he hadn't given up any in a Nationals uniform to a left-handed hitter before the game against the Brewers in August mm-hmm. where he gave up two consecutive home runs to left-handed hitters in Yelich and Moustakis. But anyway, wow. so he walks the tying run on, on base. Then Hudson walks. This is the even more insane part. Hudson walks Smith. There's another lefty on deck. <laughs> And, I mean, 
Muncie is in a much better spot than Seager offensively right now. Has been for pretty much the whole season. Although Seager was hot before the playoffs started. Well, Seager and Muncie had both struck out um, both times before Muncie homered. Yeah. I mean, that was against Steven Strasburg. Yes, it was. Unbelievable. But the, the mere fact is that when you have left, right, left like that, to take the chance to walk the lefty to get to the righty, taking the chance that the righty doesn't get the righty out, and then he's in an even more stressful situation facing another lefty. It was just unbelievable. But then... Mm-hmm. Hudson had a phenomenal at bat for Seager. He did. He had they had a great game plan, and they hit every spot. He threw him six consecutive fastballs, five of which were on the outside corner, or just off of it. And then he backfoots a slider, and Seager swings through it. Uh, and we should we should say since we're recording this now that. That Davey Martinez has announced that he doesn't know who's starting Game Three, so he's announced that he's not making an announcement. He doesn't know how Scherzer's going to feel. We should also say that uh, the other marginally important thing that happened in this game was Victor Robles pulling up lame on a bunt in the seventh inning. He left the game with a hamstring injury, which is what we all thought. He's day to day for now, which is a non-update as far as it goes. It didn't look like yeah. a serious hamstring injury. No, he looked kind of nonchalant about it in the dugout. Although when you got a guy whose main skill is speed, you know, it's not great. But, you know, I think we could start Taylor for a game in game three and be fine. I mean... Taylor against a... It's not as though Robles has looked... Robles had a hard hit ball off of Kershaw. So I don't want to yeah. say that. He had a double. But Taylor as a righty against a lefty is not – it's not a great idea, but it's – I mean, they play comparable defense. I mean, Robles is great defensively, but so is Taylor. Right. Um, they play comparable defense, and maybe Michael Taylor can give you something offensively against the lefty. Maybe. He's maybe. already had one huge at-bat in the playoffs against the lefty this year. Yeah, he has. So we'll see what happens with Robles. I mean, I'm not overly concerned. I don't think it's going to take him out for a while. Um, But we'll see with that. Um, But now I just want to say one thing real quick before we go into a preview of the next couple games. Um, Is that I I was thinking about this before about how Davey was managing in in a deficit, a 2-0 deficit on uh, yesterday, or game one. Um, And it's just interesting to see how, I don't know if this is the right characterization of it, but how little he valued a two-run deficit as a thing that the Nats could come back from. How aggressively he managed with the lead compared to how sort of disinterestedly he managed with a deficit. He, He brought in Fernando Rodney in a two-run game to pitch to Cody Bellinger. Somehow, that worked. <laughs> then he left him in. And, and then he left him in to face the righty who walked. 
and then he left him in again. Instead of never got up Doolittle at any point. Yeah. He left him in again to face Muncie, and that didn't work. Yeah. And then he left him in again to face Seeger, and I mean, by that point the damage had been mostly done. But still, it's it was just, you know, it's just interesting to see, you know, how, you know, the Nats probably weren't going to come back. They blew they blew their one chance to kind of change the momentum in the game. Um, the Dodgers' weakness, their main weakness as a team, is their bullpen. Yeah. The Nats had just come back, just come off of a comeback from down two runs, an inning later than, than that. Yep. So I don't know. It's it's just, you know, it's something interesting to look forward to in the rest of the playoffs is when the Nats are behind. And, and especially if Scherzer was available for Game 2. Uh-huh. I thought that the plan for Game 2 was to extend Hudson and Doolittle to cover three innings if need be. At which point, you can sort of see the argument. If you've only got two good relievers, I can sort of see the rationale for saving those relievers if they have to be extended especially long the next day. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with it because you never know if you're going to be in a situation where you're going to need to extend in the next day, but I see it. But if Scherzer was available for an inning, and you expect Steven Strasburg to go six innings... Yeah. Then, then it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you might not have known Scherzer was available today. Scherzer might have come up to him since today and said, I can pitch. Given, given that he announced before the game that Scherzer was going to go for game three, uh, I, I don't think that he thought Scherzer was going to be available. Yeah. So, um, one more question about yesterday's game. Uh, did Corbin have a good start? Yes. Yeah, I mean... One earned run in six innings. Is a it's a very good start. start. Okay, he was he was it was a Geo start. Yes, it was classic Geo. He struck out nine. He walked five. He threw a hundred and eight pitches in six innings, which honestly, given that he threw thirty three in the first inning, was not that many. The fact that he walked a run in in the first, walked four consecutive batters and managed to recover from that, managed to limit the damage, and managed to go six full innings. Yeah. That that qualifies as a good start. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I, I mean, if, if the Nats get to Bueller and it's a 2-2 game instead of a 2 nothing game. Strew Cabrera doesn't swing at the, fir- at the first two pitches. Like a, he redeemed himself partially today. Getting, yes, and then got a two-plan. Ran into an out for no... I think he thought, and I thought, given that we've watched this team for the past six years, I think he thought that Bob Henley was going to send Kurt Suzuki there. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. It wouldn't have surprised me at all. Nope. And he wanted to draw a throw. But there was one out, not two. And at that, I mean, where that ball was, they're going to throw through, even if he's safe. Yeah. There was no point in trying to draw a throw there. It was... It was bad base running. Yep. Unlike Soto's, which in the in the Tuesday game, which he was trying to draw a throw at all costs, or was just super excited. <laughs> who who celebrates before he tagged out? That was hilarious. Man. All right. So let's look forward to the rest of the series. Um, the Nats got are facing Ryu on Thursday. Uh, not Thursday. Game three, and Hill on Monday in Game four. 
Um, right. I don't love us against either of those guys, honestly. Uh, Hill, well, Hill, Hill is, is not going to give you a lot of length. It's going to be a bullpen game for Hill. Hill will give you two innings. Two, three innings. Can we sign Jose Lobaton for that game? Oh, yeah. We need Jose Lobaton. Uh-huh. So Hill pitched three innings his last time out. Yeah. He pitched two innings the time out before that. He missed time. He, he hurt himself the time before that. So it's going to be a short leash for Hill. I mean, it's going to be two. It's going to be mostly a bullpen game. Yeah, he got up to fifty pitches last time, so it's it's possible that he can go three four, but the Nats are going to have a lot of time against the bullpen. Yeah, but Ryu is the type of guy. I mean, Ryu pitched against the Nats twice, and he did very well both times against them this year. Um, you know, one of the times was when the Nationals are still having a not complete lineup. And when Ryu was yeah, on his sharpest. no hit the team to seven. seven, two-thirds. Yeah, eight. and then Gerardo Parra got a double. Right. Yay. The uh, fact that Gerardo Parra was starting <laughs> as a lefty against a lefty. No, he, was, he pinched lefty, hit, didn't he? No, I, maybe. I think he came I know he started in the... Oh, that team was in dire straits. Yes, I was. can't believe we're here. <laughs> if, you had, if you had told me at that moment that we would be here... Tied at one in a playoff series against the Dodgers, I would be pretty shocked. I would be too. But you know what? We're here. <laughs> Some and listen, you're right. The Nats do not match up particularly well against. Obviously, it's going to be the next three games map out to be Ryu Hill slash bullpen and Walker Bueller, who. The Nats have now not gotten a runoff of in two starts out of three this year. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, you look at who the Nats have. The Nats have Max Scherzer starting one of the next two games. They've got Anibal Sanchez, who is as solid a fourth starter as you're going to find. And they've got Steven Strasburg, who currently has the lowest postseason ERA in baseball history. Mm-hmm. So, you can't feel too bad about it. I mean, the thing with Ryu, the thing with especially Ryu and kind of Hill, but especially Ryu, is that Ryu is the type of pitcher who you need a game plan against, a good game plan against. And the Nationals so far in the playoffs have not looked like they've had a good game plan. They've looked overmatched no. by every pitcher. I mean, Kershaw, they got lucky. They no, they didn't, they didn't look overmatched at all today. Not today, but uh, Kershaw just didn't have it today for the first two innings. And then he settled down. Um, Not really. The Nats hit a lot of balls hard in the yeah, four innings well, that Scherzer didn't allow any runs. Yeah. Kershaw didn't allow any runs. The Nats seem to have, I, I don't know if you call it a good plan, good game plan, or the fact that they were just essentially for the first four or so innings completely able to eliminate the curveball mm-hmm. and just hit fastball slider, which are the same speed. Yeah. I don't know how Kershaw is still making it work, but he's he is... In terms of his fastball off-speed stuff, he, he looks like Felix Hernandez right before the fall, where I think there were several times when Hernandez threw a change-up faster than he threw his fastball. I can totally see Kershaw doing that. Yeah. Um, but with Ryu, I mean, the Nats just need to go in with a good game plan and really stick to it and not press. The guys that they've struggled against this year or this postseason so far, have been mostly hard-throwing right-handers. Well, yeah, Woodruff and they couldn't hit um, Bueller. And they couldn't hit Bueller. 
and they did. I so, guess I guess that's true. Um, but yeah, it's it's just the thing that concerns me is Soto against those kinds of lefties. Yeah, and Soto is as smart a hitter as they come, and as equipped as any left-handed hitter to hit a crafty lefty. Yeah, but. I mean, it takes him a while. You saw Man, that was, the at bat today against Adam Kalara. That was a fun at bat. Amazing. I want to see that. I want to see that matchup again. I think Soto's going to beat him. We will see that matchup. again. We'll definitely see that, that matchup again. That will definitely happen. I think Soto will beat him next time. I think Kalara will leave something over the plate, and Soto will take advantage because that was such a good at bat. Kalarik threw eight consecutive fastballs down and in, and there was nothing that Soto could do with them. They were perfect pitches, every single one of them. And it's so interesting because it is, that is the exact opposite book that you would normally keep on a left-handed hitter as a loogie. Basically, the plan is, if it's just a generic loogie versus the generic left-hander, it's sliders away, away, away. But he threw Soto... Nine consecutive fastballs. I mean, they were sinkers. They were coming in on him. And eight of them were in on his hands. And Soto, he couldn't do anything other than foul him off. But he fouled every single one of them off. Yeah. It's, Soto is, as, as I was saying, he's as smart a hitter as you're going to find. Mm-hmm. But these, the next two pitchers he's going to face, at least to start, are some of the most challenging crafty lefties in baseball. So. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's probably all the time we have today. I'm going to go to bed now. <laughs> that is fair. It is now 1.57 a.m. Just to close it out, the Nats are now in a position. They did, you know, as ugly as game one was, they did exactly what they needed to do. They, they won a game at home. They flipped the advantage. They got... Basically a three-game series now with two games at home. And with two great starters, one very good starter, and a weapon like Patrick Corbin in relief, you can probably use two times in the next three games. They're in a position where they can win this series. I'm not saying that they will. I'm not even saying that they're favorites at this point. No. But they could win this thing. And given where they were, on May 23rd or May 24th, it's pretty nice to be able to say that. Yeah. Hopefully their uh, home playoff lows won't come back to hurt them. That would be nice. Yeah. God, how's the team so uh, bad at they home They are playoffs? 500 all-time on the road in playoff games. Considerably less than that on home. <laughs> uh, all right. Well. Well, hopefully, I think the, yeah, I think the plan is for now... We'll do another podcast after game four, but don't hold us to that. We'll do one when we do one. Uh, you'll, you'll know when they come out. We'll let you know. Yes. I'll, I'll let you know about it. All right. Anyway, thank you for listening, yes. and uh, we'll see you when we see you. See you when we see you.